Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to the In Conversation With series, a series where I speak to notable figures in the realm of financial services. Listen as they share their personal journeys, thoughts on the industry, and advice for aspiring advisors. Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With. Today, I am joined by Emma Barrow, Head of Communications at the FSCS. So Emma, if you could give us a bit more of a background into you and how you got started and your journey into becoming the Head of Comms for FSCS. Yeah, absolutely. Of course I can. Um, And thank you for having me today. I'm really uh, looking forward to having a good chat. Yeah. So I have been head of communications at FSCS for about two years now, just over two years. Um, I actually started working at FSCS a little bit before that, um, actually just before the COVID pandemic started. So I started with FSCS um, at the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. And originally I was actually just um, sort of temporarily at FSCS. I was um, helping out on some project work uh, around communications um, and then COVID happened and a lot of the projects we were doing changed and the opportunity came up to stay at FSCS permanently mm-hmm. and by that point I'd been been with them for about 18 months and um, I mean FSCS is here to help people really I mean that's primarily what we do and that part of the business really um, resonated with me um, mm-hmm. I've worked Previous to that, I worked in um, a large building society and I worked at Royal Mail for many years, actually, interestingly, before that. And I've always worked places that are about kind of helping customers and um, that really resonates with me. So that was um, why I decided to stay permanently. Um, and I do really enjoy the job here. I actually did communications right back at university, mm-hmm. um, but then kind of ended up moving away and doing different things and then have kind of come back now um, and realised why I enjoyed it so much in the first place. So I really kind of, um, I enjoy, I'm quite passionate about personal finance generally as well and and financial education and literacy. So being in a role where part of my job is um and part of my team's job is helping people understand complex things in finance that you know that's really exciting for me so that's that's part of the job that I really enjoy yeah I like that big full circle moment where you go (laughs) off and kind of discover yourself a little bit and then come back to what you trained for and what you enjoy yeah I think I've had a similar journey so I can relate to that um so I noticed that the FSCS has launched their own podcast as well. Um, So why was it created and what is your involvement in that? Yeah, so um, the idea for the podcast first came up. I actually looked back in my email when I was preparing for our conversation today. And the first time we actually started talking about it was just after I started in the job. So sort of early 2021. Um, and originally the idea came up from the team, I think pretty much because a lot of organisations were starting to experiment with podcasts and something a little bit different. Um, so the, the idea really came from kind of well, lots of other people are doing it, you know, why, why don't we? Um, but I was quite keen to kind of have a bit more of a reason to do it and, and mm. a bit more of a, um, a reason to um, put the time and energy really into it because they're not they might sound 
by the time you listen to a finished podcast, some people I think um, may think it's quite easy, but there's a lot of work that goes into it, right? Yes. So preparing yes, the content, <laughs> finding the right guests, you know, mm. it's it's editing. There's a lot of work. So I wanted to make sure we were doing it for a good reason. And what we finally settled on was um, FSTS, like a lot of parts of finance, especially the regulatory side of finance, there's a lot of complexity. So the rules that we work under, the protection, it's not always clear cut and very simple. Um, And explaining things in writing can be really difficult and it can be a lot easier to explain things having a conversation and sort of talking it through. Um, and that was the idea that we sort of stuck with. So I, um, I'm i really lucky to have um, a lady called Jess in my team, who's our podcast host. And she was really keen to have a go. She'd never done anything like this before. And she's an absolute natural. She's an amazing mm-hmm. host. So I gave it over to Jess. Um, and my involvement has been supporting Jess, really, um, coming up with your idea, filling in if we haven't been able to make get the guest that we wanted or someone's cancelled last minute <laughs> it's always good to have someone as, as a backup um so I think you know my, my role has been very much supportive um, and letting the team not be afraid of failing because I think um especially outside of the comms team some people may have assumptions on what a successful podcast looks like and they think mm. you know if you're not getting thousands of listeners and subscribers within five minutes you're doing a bad job um but actually, even though our first six episodes we did as a pilot, we only had a few hundred listens. Mm-hmm. We were actually way into the top sort of 20 percent of new podcasts because um, mm-hmm. actually most podcasts that go out get very, very few listens, especially when yeah. they're new. And um, so that um, a part, a big part of my role was keeping the team excited and engaged and making sure they weren't disheartened because it is quite hard to to start these kind of things and and then um, commit to them. So we have committed to it. I think we are at 23 episodes now. Um, it might mm-hmm. even be 24 by the time by the time this goes out. Um, and we've never designed the podcast to sort of, you know, have people avidly waiting for each episode and and really excited about the next one. We've we've more created them to do that explanation. So even if an episode is actually a few months old now, that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily matter. We can still use it, and people can still listen to it to just maybe hear something that they've read and they still can't get their head around it. Maybe listening to the podcast might help. So um, that's kind of more what we've done with it. It's less, and um, we want people to listen every week or every month, and more. We want people to dip in and out when there's something that they might want to know a little bit more about. Yeah, I think I can relate to a lot of that. Um, having launched, the, you know, this series yeah. uh, last year and uh, going through the motions and keeping it going, I don't look at the numbers too much because I don't like to, I don't know, measure myself up that way. But you know, it's good to know that there's that engagement that's happening, um, mm-hmm. and I think you'll continue to see that as well. Um, so I did have another question about the impact of, you know, the banking crisis, you know, with SVB, you know, needing to be uh, paid out and um, bought out. And how has that impacted the FSCS? Yeah, it's a really good question. So um, it feels like a distant memory, even though it was only yeah, a couple of months ago, right? Things it felt so like fast. everything uh, was crashing. If People were talking so much about 2008. I was yeah. a teenager when 2008 happened, and I was scared to actually experience it as an adult. Um, so yeah, yeah. How, what was that like? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't quite a teenager, but I was pretty young in 2008. And I was the same. I just graduated university, actually. And um, I remember the kind of credit crunch, as we called it at the time, and mm-hmm. um, the uncertainty and the kind of worry that people had about um, about money. It was quite palpable for, for a long time. Um, so with SVB UK, that was the bank that um, eventually was sold to HSBC. Mm. The actual weekend of that happening and um, the initial impact on FSCS was really significant because we had to put into practice the plans that we rehearse quite regularly um, about how we would deal with that deposit failure and what would happen if that bank went into insolvency. Now, obviously, it didn't eventually. You know, by Monday morning, it had been sold. But from, and I can say this personally because I was part of this team, but from Friday afternoon right through to about five o'clock Monday morning, there was a lot of work going on behind the scenes to make sure that everything was ready for FSCS to be able to step in and pay compensation, which is what we do in these cases. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't have been um, uh, as straightforward as it is with our like little credit union failures and things that we do quite often, um, but mm-hmm. we were ready, right? And that that work, though, was quite invisible, really, to the outside world. And we were just there preparing and making sure we were ready. And, and ultimately, we weren't actually needed, which was a great news for um, the people that were banking with that institution. Um, and, and, you know, we were really glad, obviously, to see that for those people. I think what rippled out, exactly as you mentioned, was this kind of like uncertainty and worry amongst consumers. And around that time, we did actually put out a podcast episode about deposit protection and how it works, because mm. a lot of kind of myths started to come up and confusion about how it might work, what the limits would be, you know, who would be covered, all that kind of stuff. So we did see this ripple out of concern and we had... Um, the, another impact on us was a big increase in visits to our website, people looking for information, mm-hmm. you know, inquiries on social media, inquiries through our contact centre. And, and we were able to react to that really quickly and kind of, again, a little bit behind the scenes, switch over things like the digital ads that we have running and make sure that all the messaging about deposit protection was really clear and upfront so that people could access what they need. Because what we didn't want is people overly worrying. You know, we wanted mm-hmm. people to understand no one can predict what the next thing to happen would be. But at least if you are confident and you know how much money you you have protected and where that money is, at least you can kind of comfort yourself a little bit and, and, and try and calm yourself down. Because, um, yeah, there was a lot going on in the media and a lot of kind of um, concern building with people. Yeah, I'm glad that the issue was not as uh, dire as, you know, like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. To be. Um, So what other areas does the FSCS offer final protection, financial protection even, sorry? Uh, Yeah, so that protection we were just talking about there, the kind of banks, building societies, credit unions, that's what we are pretty much best known for. And that's because Mm -hmm. um, those companies, those banks and building societies, they have to tell their customers about FSCS. They have to display information about FSCS. You see the logo in the branch on their apps and websites. So we're really well known for that, but we actually do a lot more. So um, FSCS can also cover you if your insurance provider fails. So if you have car insurance, home insurance, pet insurance, whatever kind of insurance you've got, if you've got a policy and a, and a company goes out of business, we can help. We can um, refund the cost of your policy um, so that you can 
to purchase a new one. Um, sometimes we were even able to just transfer your policy to a new provider for you so you don't have to even go through that hassle. Um, we also cover investments and pensions advice. Mm-hmm. We cover missold PPI, missold mortgages, um, Anything to do with pensions tends to be the most complex stuff that we deal with, but we cover a lot with pensions and um, SIPs, a lot of kind of um, if a SIP provider fails or you you receive bad advice in relation to a SIP, that's something we can cover. And the newest areas that we cover are debt management plans and prepaid funeral plans. So prepaid mm-hmm. funeral plans only came under our protection uh, last July, July 2022. Um, and the key thing to remember about FS, FSS protection really is for, for someone to be protected by us, the firm has to be an authorised firm. So they have to be FCA or PRA authorised. Um, and also that firm has to have failed. They have to have gone out of business. So people used to refer to FSCS by kind of like, uh, they call us the lifeboat fund or the fund of last resort and uh, some kind of interesting terminology. But essentially, that is the that is the way it works. We have to be the last chance saloon for people. So mm-hmm. if the firm can pay any compensation itself, that would happen. We can only step in if there's essentially no other avenue for, for someone to go down. We're, we're there right at the end to, to hopefully be able to pay some compensation. Yeah, um, I think it's quite interesting because I, I don't know, is do people just become more aware of the FSCS when things go wrong or? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Just because I'm trying to think, you know, before, before I was working in financial services, I don't think I was. Of course you wouldn't aware. have known. Yeah. No. And it's really funny actually, because I mean, we do track um, how aware consumers are of us and mm-hmm. of other similar organizations so that we can kind of keep track of, are we comfortable um, that people understand who we are and what we do? And and we do particularly track like um, the groups of consumers that may be more likely to claim with us. So different age mm-hmm. groups, different demographics. And we do absolutely see a spike every time there's something major happens. So mm-hmm. we talked about SVB UK and their sale. And um, the mm-hmm. month that that happened, um, I think it was March, the yeah. it went through the roof. So when we measured the awareness, it massive spike we had big spikes in covid as well because Mm -hmm. again things like that i know that was an absolute once in a lifetime extreme but that times like that make people worried about their finances and they maybe do a bit of research they do a bit of googling you know they start to to sort of swap up and then they hear about us and it's something that i wrestle with because i don't think everybody should be walking around every day understanding everything about fss protection like we've got enough to be worried about right (laughs) of course you don't want to be thinking about everything but one of the things that uh, as head of communications what me and the team try and do is make sure that if you do need us we're pretty easy to find and you can the the content on our website and the podcast and all the other things that we do are easy to understand accessible and searchable and Mm -hmm. and luckily as i say we do see that we see the search traffic and the website traffic go through the roof when these things happen and that that to me is a good sign because it means that people are interested in finding out more they're and they're able to find us they're finding where to go Um, and Mm -hmm. that's that's important so we do a lot of work with engaging industry as well and and so that people can help their own clients find out that information as well. So it's not just us because, um, you know, FSS is a really small organisation in terms of number of people. We we don't have a face-to-face presence with customers. You know, we're all kind of hidden in a way. So being able to work through other people to share um, kind of what FSS does is really helpful as well. And we do like to work with other people. Yeah. 
And I guess in working with other people, you mean similar to our audience who are financial advisors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So um, how would, what would your advice be to financial advisors when they're trying to help their clients protect themselves from financial losses? Yeah, so if they're talking about kind of um, protecting themselves from future loss, um, mm. definitely kind of understanding what protection exists so that if something does go wrong, they know um, what protection exists is helpful. Um, the claims we do see often involve a lack of understanding from the customer. So a lack of understanding on Adam, me, um, a lack of understanding on what they were getting themselves into, um, what you know, if it's an investment or a pensions related product, not really understanding what that thing was and how risky it was. So there's a lot of kind of lack of understanding. So I think, you know, if you've got an advisor who's got a client, um, really supporting those clients to learn about what they're investing in. And I know, mm. I imagine not all clients are interested. They're just kind of you manage that, and I'll, uh, you know, I just want to see the returns, but. If you can encourage people to really understand the terminology um, sort of ed really educate themselves, because I do, I think I said right at the beginning, I do think financial education is lacking in this country. Mm -hmm. And I think that any financial professional with clients can help close that gap ever so slightly, you know, really help people understand the terminology. And I know good advisors are great at this, you know, help people properly reflect on their own goals and the risk appetite that they have. Because if they really understand their own goals and their own risk appetite, you'd hope that then if someone presented something to them that's outside of that, that they'd be a bit more willing to question it, you know, and willing to ask more questions. So I think um, encouraging clients to ask questions, you know, if they're presented something that they're unsure about, they see something they're unsure about, especially if that's online, like mm -hmm. really encourage them to ask questions. And, and I guess um, I think, like I do in my job, I imagine advisors see and read things that um, that they could share with their clients, you know, common scams, thing, you know, things that are currently posing a, a danger to people. I mean, I, I mentioned online, but particularly online, the things that we see, you know, there's so much out there. Mm -hmm. And with this, with AI and with chat GPT and all these things, things are getting way more convincing than they ever have been. Yeah. So. I think advisors, any, anyone who has a touch point with a client, being able to just kind of show them what's going on and, and what to be to, to be mindful of. And um, I think giving people some practical advice as well, like the amount of um, people I speak to uh, inside work and outside of work who don't know how to check if the firm is authorised, don't know how to, you know, do a little bit of a look on company's house and see if, see you know all those kind of like real little practical tips i think um are really useful for people and it's something that i I'm, i think i really bore my friends and family with it but i'm always the one that's kind of telling my friends and family oh have you seen this particular scam and yeah you, did you know you can check this here and um those kind of little practical things really yeah no, I think I'm similar to um, now that I've been in this industry for quite a while um, and also just coming across things, especially I think with my parents, not my dad as much. He's quite tech, tech savvy, but sometimes I have to be like, mom, that's not that's not what you think it is. Back away, <laughs> close it immediately, you know, things like that. And I think it is very important to keep people aware because even I have almost been caught out, you know, because like you're yeah, saying, absolutely. they're evolving, they're getting smarter and uh, it's it's scary. But, you know, if we're hyper aware, I think that's probably the best thing. 
So what do you think is the most important thing that financial advisors need to know about the FSCS if they don't already know it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think um, in terms of supporting their clients, I think getting an understanding of how FSCS works. So, and we mentioned a few of them earlier, but the kind of things we can cover and the kind of things we can pay compensation for and the limits, because um, mm-hmm. there's compensation limits um, to pretty much all of our products, um, other than um, the odd kind of insurance uh, one where it's covered at 100%. But understanding those, what we can protect, how much we can protect, and just being able to pass that information on to their clients I think is really really useful I think for themselves as advisors um I mean FSCS is funded by the industry so regulated advisors are contributing to FSCS you know they're contributing to the costs of running our service mm-hmm. and um I think un- getting a really good understanding of how that funding works and how that model works I think that's something really good for advisors to do because the way that we're funded is set out in rules from the FCA and PRA, but they consult on those rules. And the FCA have committed uh, this year to review the uh, the funding classes that FSCS uses and the compensation limits. So I think mm-hmm. if advisors understand how all that works and um, kind of have that deep understanding, it, they're able to then contribute to that consultation process and contribute to the future of FSCS um, in terms of how we're structured, how the funding works. Because, you know, we, um, we just yesterday we published our latest forecast and we're paying out a lot of compensation. We're paying out essentially half a billion pounds a year. We're paying out 500 million pounds a year. It's a lot of money that comes from the industry to, to fund that. Um, mm. So I think advisors really understanding how that works then allows them to have a voice, I think, which is really important, um, really important. And um, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit there, but how can financial advisors work when it comes to getting the compensation for their clients? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, So when um, a consumer makes a claim with FSCS, they've got two options. They can either go it alone um, Mm. and make a claim directly themselves online, um, or they can use a representative. They can use a third party, right? Mm. Now, third parties are either, typically you're talking either a solicitor or a claims management company. And the FCA have been um, regulating claims management since about 2019, I think. So if Um, an advisor wants to do claims management like as part of their business model, they need the right permissions to do that, right? But if an advisor's just got a client who maybe worked with someone in the past who's gone out of business and the advisor's like looking at their file and thinking, I think this person's maybe had bad advice in the past and should be thinking about making a claim or whatever it is, um, there are a few things they can do. And yeah, we've talked a little bit about it, really helping their client understand the process that they're about to go through and pointing them to the website to learn more, pointing them to um, sort of reviewing maybe what they've, um, what advice they've had in the past or whatever it is. I think, again, practical things. um, If the person isn't particularly tech savvy, but wants to make the claim themselves and not engage a third party who they'll usually pay pay quite a lot for, um, sitting with them and helping them set up their online account, you know, 
helping them understand um, one thing about our claims process. It's not, it's pretty straightforward, but because of the amount of evidence that we need to review, it's a really, you know, it's a very kind of almost legal process making a, a claim with us. Yeah. There's a lot of doc- there is a lot of documents that the customer is going to have to provide and there's no way around that because we need to see that evidence of what went on. So helping your client, if they do have a claim, understanding what those documents are and what we're asking for like if we ask for a transaction statement what what might that look like and and mm. things like that um and also when a, a, if a customer does um an advisor has a client who does make a claim with us when they get their final decision if it's a really complex case there can be a lot in the detail of that decision so i guess helping the client understand that decision and understand why they have got compensation or maybe why they haven't got compensation mm-hmm. i think that's something um really valuable and actually uh i read a lot of customer kind of case studies and i speak to a lot of customers as part of my job and we get loads of examples of people that have had a bad experience in the past and unfortunately did deal with someone who was authorised but didn't give them the right advice or didn't help them how they should. But they're now with a new advisor who's doing an amazing job and they absolutely love them and they've got a great relationship. And we see loads of examples of people getting help from that advisor to make a claim. And um, I see notes on files from advisors who are saying, you know what, I'm really annoyed that my client has had a bad experience in the past, you know, by someone who hasn't made our industry look great. You know, they've they've done a bad job. And actually, I really want to help that person. And we, we see a lot of it. And it's really nice to see because I think if people, you know, they're paying that advisor for whatever they do for them as a as a client anyway and it, I always really kind of like when I see that because it means that customer is able to make a claim they've got a little bit of help there they're not forced to maybe go and and seek a, um, a representative that might charge them 30% of their claim you know they get to keep a lot more of their compensation and I think it's yeah I always really enjoy when I see that on the claims I think that's a really nice thing to have happened that you've tr- you trust this advisor they're helping you with your investments or whatever it is or your pension and they're actually helping you almost like fix something that went wrong in the past yeah i really do do think it's good when we see that yeah no obviously like it's always positive to see those changes and uh the positive impact that the fscs can have on someone's life especially if something you know horrible has happened in the past um to kind of right that wrong um but I think our time is up for today. So thank you so much for speaking with me, Emma, and kind of shedding a bit more light on the work that you do there, the amazing work that you do there. Yeah, no problems. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me, Kim. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.